Father, we thank you, God, for the fact that your wounds have paid our ransom, for the fact that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus because of what you did. Lord, there are things that get in our way. There are things that that distract us from the truth. And Lord, I pray that we would not let that happen right now. Lord, that as we dig into your word, as we look at what you have said to us, as the God of creation has spoken directly to us in this book that we hold in our hands, Father, I pray that we would not take that for granted. We would not see this as just another day to sit there and just just let the words bounce off of our minds and bounce off of our hearts. But today we'd be intent on letting those words penetrate us deeply. God, we have, such this, we have such a great opportunity right now, God, to be able to hear from you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would never take that for granted, that we would always relish this opportunity that we have to dig into what you have said to us, the creator that knows every single thing there is to know and every single thing there is to know about us. God, you have given us this opportunity to hear from you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to your people, and I pray that their hearts and minds would be open to you and to your word, and God, their lives would be changed forever. We know that the Holy Spirit has the power to use this word to change our lives forever. So Lord Jesus, may we be ready for that and expectant of that right now. God, as we see what you have said to us, in the name of Jesus, our precious King, I do pray. Amen. Every once in a while, I get so wrapped up in the worship time, I'm like, oh, yeah, i got to preach, too. I mean, really, it does happen. i like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, my bad. I'm sitting there looking around going, somebody going to preach today? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know? I was in Chicago this week, um, and I don't know if you know this about me, but I hate the cold. If we ever have a simple church part two, it'll be in Barbados. I'm just saying, like... <laughs> I, I do not like the cold, not at all. It, the whole time I was in Chicago, I was there all week. The whole time, uh, it, did, it never got above freezing. It, it ne- do you hear what I said? It never got above freezing. Like it was below 32 the whole time I was there. That's unacceptable. No human being should live in that environment. And they certainly shouldn't have a conference there. Not in February. Don't go to Chicago in February for a conference. That's dumb, you know what I mean? Like... My company thought that that, last year we had it in Orlando. Yes, amen, you know. This year they thought, we'll have a more temperate climate. We'll go to Chicago. Polar vortex to you, you know what I mean? Like two weeks ago it was colder in in Chicago than it was in Siberia. (laughs) The uh, base camp at Mount Everest. (laughs) Antarctica, all of those places were warmer than Chicago, you know. And we thought this would be a good place to have a conference. Anyway, so I... Enough about, enough about Chicago being cold, but so I was there, and uh, they have a really nice workout facility, this hotel I was staying at, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm, I'm going I'm to work out and all this kind of stuff. It's really nice because I had thought about going outside to run. Then I looked outside. I was right across from uh, Millennium Park and Grant Park and all this kind of stuff. And I looked outside, and even the statues were frozen. I was like, there's no way I'm going out there. Some of y'all would be like, at lunchtime, you'd be like, oh, I got what he was saying now. Statues are frozen. Anyway, so I went out there, I, I, I went out there stuck my head out. I was like, nope, uh-uh, going to the gym. So I go to the gym. And, and the reason I don't like working out in a gym is because... 
I can't stand a treadmill. I can't stand uh, an elliptical. Do you, anybody feel that? I mean, I'm not because you don't like to, to exercise, but I mean because I don't like not going anywhere. You know, like I'm just... And, and everybody, I don't know what it is about the gym, but I noticed this. I was paying really close attention this time, apparently. Everybody else, like they're so focused on their little, their little area, you know, I guess because it's weird in a gym to stare at people. So anyway... But they're like doing their little thing. You know, I got this guy up in front of me. I know him from work, you know, and he's going at it. He's been going at it for an hour and a half on the treadmill, like full pay. I'm like, wow. So anyway, but I'm like, I'm staring at people. I'm just like looking over here because I'm on the elliptical, you know. I'm doing my little thing, and I'm looking over here at these people, and they're all focused on their little thing. And I go, this is why I don't like the elliptical because I'm not going anywhere. I started out here. I finished here. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm going to be. I don't like that. So to, to combat that, this is what the elliptical people have done. They have given you these little courses that you can run. Am I right? I, there, there's this one that I, I have a tendency to go to every time, and it, it's something to do with like, there's, it's like a desert-like scene, and there's all these mountains, trails that you can run through and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't work. Because I noticed that even though I was watching this screen, that if I looked up, I was still here. You know, I wasn't moving anywhere. Even though it looked like I was going somewhere on the screen, it wasn't tricking my brain enough for me to think that I was there running through the desert because I wasn't, you know? And, and it's just, I don't know, there's something about the elliptical, the treadmill, it just drives me crazy. I, I don't really like to, I will run outside and, and all that, that's fine, but running on the treadmill or the elliptical, it just drives me crazy. And, and I, I just, so I, I thought about that and I was thinking about that while I was on the elliptical because that is so much, so much like what we are talking about in Ecclesiastes, right? So everybody's like, oh wow, Ecclesiastes, that's a cool book to go through, right? Like I don't even know how to spell that much less ever heard a sermon about that. So anyway, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes. And what we talked about last week is this dude named Solomon. And Solomon, uh, like, like his dad was a king. So King David, you may have heard of him, really famous dude in the Bible. His dad is King David. Solomon is, he is, is really cool because God said, all right, if you could have anything in, your, in the world, what would you choose to have? And Solomon says, I'll take wisdom. Like most people say, how about a bathtub full of money? No, Solomon says, I'll take wisdom. And, and, and God says, okay, that's a cool request. You got it, you know? And, and so Solomon goes on this journey. He goes on this like journey to figure out, you know, kind of like the meaning of life. Like, like, like what will give me pleasure? What will give me satisfaction? And he goes on this social experiment. And I love social experiments. I really do. I think they're hilarious. I don't know if you watch any of them on YouTube, but they crack me up, especially the ones about women. I'm sorry. It's just funny. Like, like I, I, I saw one. I'm not putting women down, okay? This is just, this is real. This is on YouTube. Go look it up. So there, there's one, like, like this guy comes up to this group of girls, and, and he's like talking to them. He's like, hey, I was just wondering, you know, can I go eat with y'all and hang out for a little while? And they're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, no, you know, like, I don't know who you are or who you think you are or whatever, but you're totally lame and we have no interest in hanging out with you whatsoever. Do people still use the word lame? Is that a thing still? I don't know. Let me ask my, did people use lame? They do? Okay, all right, good. So I didn't use that out of context. All right, good. So, like, I don't know why you would want to think you could hang out with us. 
And so he goes away, right? So they're filming this whole thing off from the side, right? And then they got this other dude that comes up, and he's like talking to this group, and he's like, blah, 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 and you know, he's chatting it up. He's like, oh, did you see that guy over there? He's the drummer for the band we're going to watch. Oh, oh, how things change all of a sudden, am I right? All of a sudden, they, they're, like, they're, they're getting their little group huddle. You know, they're like, hey, we got to send somebody over there to talk to him. You know, he just want to hang out with us. And, you know, so what do they do? They send one of them over there and say, hey, uh, you know, I know we were rude to you before, but we would love for you to come hang out with us and maybe go eat with us or whatever. And, and of course, he's like, oh, you figured out who I was, huh? Is that what just happened? You figured out who I was, and now you want to hang out with me? No, I ain't got time for y'all, blah, 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 you know, and like this whole blow-up thing, and they just do that on YouTube because it's really cool to see that kind of stuff happen. Or, or the other one is this. Guy standing beside like, like a Yugo or something, like an old-school, you know, Geo or something, and he's like, he's, t- he's leaned up against me, like, hey, you want to go for a ride in my car? And the girl's like, yeah, whatever, you know. Mr. 1980s, no thanks, I appreciate it. I don't want to go ride in your car. And he's like, oh, okay, that's cool. So he walks away from the Yugo and goes over to this $180,000 sports car. And he's like, that's too bad. I hate it. And he opens up the door, fixing to get in and crank it up. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. hang on just a minute, buddy. <laughs> I thought you were the Yugo guy. You know, like, I didn't know that, that, that you were the McLaren guy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't know that was you. I was just teasing about the whole, I didn't want to go for a ride in your car. I love those. I love watching that. It is hilarious to me. Uh, all of a sudden, how things change, you know. Uh, we had this one perspective, then all of a sudden we realized, oh, things are not the way that I thought they were. All of a sudden, things are different. I love those. So anyway, Solomon goes on this, like, social experiment. He's going to see, because Solomon, he's the king, and he's like the man, okay? We'll talk about how much he's the man later, but like he's got anything at his disposal. Things are going well in Israel, and like he's got tons of resources, and he says, you know what? God's given me wisdom. I'm going to go on this social experiment to find out if there's anything under the sun that can make me truly happy. If there's anything that can satisfy me, he, the dude, okay, he's got 700 wives and 300 concubines. Okay, A, no, you know, but B, like he's got anything at his disposal that he wants to satisfy him with, himself with, and he is going to go on this social experiment and figure out if there's anything under the sun that can make him happy. And so this is what we see. Chapter one that we talked about last week is, is basically the synopsis of what he's figured out. Like there's nothing under the sun that's really gonna satisfy you. And he starts out by telling us, okay, 30,000 foot view, this is what I did, this is what I kind of experienced. We dig into some of the details here and we talk about some of the stuff that Solomon did. And today, I want you to know that, like, once again, you're probably going to come away from this message going, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with this. So at the end, we're really going to try to wrap it up with, what am I supposed to do with what we've been told today, okay? The book of Ecclesiastes is really weird. I'll go ahead and tell you that. If you're a new believer or you aren't a believer and you go and try to read it, you'll be like, I don't get it. I don't know what we're talking about. Why are we... It's, it's bouncing all over the place. It's kind of crazy. The language is kind of crazy. It's just weird. I don't get it. We're going to talk about it today, hopefully in a context that you'll be able to, to wrap your minds around. And then at the end, we'll try to put it together in such a way that you'll be like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do with this, you know? That's my hope. That's my prayer. I'm saying that out loud because I'm trying to prep you for it so that if it doesn't work out that way, you guys will at least be pulling for me to make it work out that way, okay? So 
here we see he has gone on this huge social experiment. And let, let's talk about it for just a sec. We'll read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says this, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. That sounds like a good plan, right? I got everything at my disposal. I'm really wealthy. I got anything I want. People do whatever they, uh, whatever they, they, that I want. They'll do it for me. I, this is pretty cool. Let's try a social experiment. I'm going to go and see if I can find pleasure, and I'm going to look for the good things, is what he says, in life. But I found that this, too, was meaningless. He said, I've gone on the social experiment, and we're going to dig into the details of what this social experiment looked like. And he says, I found it was meaningless. It's pointless. It's vanity is what some of the translations say. He says, so I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek my pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. <laughs> That's never happened before, right? And while seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only, happiness, the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. So this, this is what Solomon did. His big thing was he's got all these people that will do whatever he wants. And he's got, I mean, he, he's got slaves who've got slaves who've got slaves. You know what I mean? Like he's got people that will do whatever He's got tons of money, and he throws these huge parties to try to find pleasure. He, I mean, like, when I say a party, you know, like, most people are like, yeah, we had 100 people over. That's a party. No, like, he would feed, like, 10,000, 15,000 people at his parties. And he would, I mean, it was all out. Let's, let's, I'm going to just show you from First uh, Kings some of his, his daily provisions. This is what his daily provisions look like. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 22, it says, The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour and 300 bushels of meal. I'm not a farmer, so I don't know exactly what that means, but I know it means a lot. So, also, 10 oxen from fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, as well as goats, deers, gazelle, roe deer, and choice poultry. That's A day. A day. You want to talk about a party with some hors d'oeuvres. This dude had hors d'oeuvres. I mean, like he had big time food. Big time food. I mean, let me read that again. Let me pause for a second. Forget the, the, the flour and the meal and all that. 10 oxen, 20 cattle, 100 sheep, plus goats, deer, gazelle, more deer, and, and other chickens. I mean, like that's what he had on a daily basis. I mean, I go, I, I, I go to the Japanese restaurant, and it's like, I am so stuffed, I'm about to die. Can you imagine what it must have been like to hang out with this dude and all of that food? And he's got, he's got 700 wives, seven, uh, 300 concubines, and like, I, I'll tell you straight up, I mean, like, he, he was not denied any pleasure. Sexually speaking, he, there was no fantasy too great. He got everything that he possibly could want. I mean, I'm just being straight up honest with you. He, 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 there was nothing he denied himself. Every single thing that he could possibly come up with in his mind, he would indulge in it. Like, like he, he would wake up in the morning about 11 o'clock, you know. He wasn't in any rush to get up. Roll out of bed, somebody already had breakfast for him, you know. He didn't have to bathe himself, somebody else would bathe him. He'd go from one massage to the next massage to the next massage. 
You know, like it sounds like it's the life, but what he realizes, like even though the parties keep getting bigger, even though the parties keep getting more and more and more and more elaborate, that after a while that too became mundane. That, that too became pointless, meaningless. It's like, man, it's, like he got tired uh, of somebody, you know, calling up one of his wives going, hey, last time we saw Solomon, he was on the back of a unicorn with a midget and like had a new tattoo. Like we, he got tired of that lifestyle after a while, you know? He, he just got, it's like, that, that really got y'all. Frank, you okay? <laughs> I think Frank about lost his glasses. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but like it was just one day after another day, after another day, after a party, after a party, after a party. And he just kept like, and eventually the party got old. Eventually, like doing that over and over again, indulging in every single pleasure you could possibly think of, it's like, okay, what's next, you know? It's like, what's next? What, what, what can I do to top yesterday? Okay, I topped yesterday. What can I do again today? And then it's like, then it just becomes, what can I do to top yesterday? Now, there's something to be said about life here. And we'll get to that in a minute, but, but I want you to, to hear. So he gets tired of the party. He's like, okay, can't really find any kind of happiness, pleasure under the sun in a party, even though we're having everything I could possibly want. So this is where he tries to find meaning in life. He says in verse 4, he says, I, tried, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. This is what he says. He says, so I started to build stuff. Now Solomon, he's the one that, that, that built God's temple, and it took him seven years to, to build God's temple according to what God had laid out. You know how long it took him to build his house? It took him seven years to build the temple. It took him 14 years to build his house. Does that tell you anything? Like God's house, double that. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, how, that's how much he was like trying to indulge in whatever he wanted. I don't know what it is about, you know, like ancient people, but when they really want to try to make themselves feel fulfilled that they want to build really big houses and like, you know, pyramids and stuff like that, like that's how they want to make their mark. Um, but I do know this, that there's something very satisfying about building. I don't know if you've ever built a house, but once you get a house built, and maybe, maybe you did some work on your own, or, or, or maybe somebody built it for you, but you had say-so and how things were done and what you wanted, it's like there's this sense of satisfaction that you get from, from building. It's like I have created something. There is something new there. And, and, and I, I figured this out in Chicago. I, was, I went to the art museum, and I was like, we just have a creative nature. We want to create. And, and like even when it comes to houses, that's a form of architecture, and architecture is something that, that we've always had instilled in us. Because our God is creative, we are creative. He has put that inside of us. And you see, like, you look at, like, old buildings and stuff, and you can see how creative people were, man. Now, a lot of times, they're just a square box going straight up into the sky. But, 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 but man, you see people that used to put a lot of time and effort to sculpt. I was looking, I was in the Chicago Art Museum, and I was, like, looking at these like jade statues. They're like thousands of years old where somebody, they didn't have power tools, man. They, they didn't have a Dremel, nothing. Like they were just carving this stuff with their hands. And I was looking at the fingernails and how much detail was in the fingernails. And I was like, we just like creating stuff. 
there's something inside of us. We just like to make stuff and make the world a more beautiful place because of this creative nature that God has given us. It doesn't matter if you recognize who God is or not. You still have this creative thing inside of you where you just you want to make stuff and make the world a more beautiful place. And, and, and we're the only creation of God that does that. We're the only ones that have a desire to go and make things more beautiful. And I, I think that's an amazing thing to notice. And, and here we see Solomon, he's created the house of God, and he's, he's built this amazing temple. Now he's, he's building his house. And let me tell you something. When, when Solomon went to, to plant in the garden, it, it wasn't like he was putting some bulbs in the ground so the tulips would come up in the springtime. That's not what his gardens looked like. He would build forests, you know, like that's big, you know, like, like forests, whole forests. He would build, he like, hey, you know what we need over there? That 900 acres, they need a forest. So let's build a forest there. And, and that will be my little gardening project, will be a, a forest, you know. There are still these huge craters where he would have ponds that were, were made, dug out by hand so that he could have, he's like, we need a pond there, pond, you know, and like people, whoom, you know, all the slaves and stuff make a pond there because he wanted to create. So he starts looking and, and he says, you know what, we'll build stuff, we'll make forests, we'll make all this stuff and we'll put it together to try to, to try to satisfy this desire I have in me to find the meaning of life. He says, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. He, he says that I had slaves who had slaves. You know, they, they were the children of the slaves. They were actually born. I was making more slaves by having men and women slaves. So I had a ton of slaves. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold and treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired uh, wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. This is what he says. He said, I'll go and, like, I want to conquer somebody. I go and conquer them. I take all their, their, their gold and silver, and I would have all the gold and silver that I wanted. I have all the treasure. I try to build up a huge treasury. Just sound like today, you know what I mean? Like, you ever try and find meaning in life in your 401K? Yeah. It's like, like, you know, like I remember a few years ago, I have a 401k. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a 401k. It's when your whole life is wrapped up in your 401k, that's when you got a problem. If your existence revolves around, I got a 401k, what does that look like? Is it okay? Is my 401k okay? That's, that's when you got a problem is when it consumes you to that point. I remember it, many of you are like, I don't know how, how old you are, but you're old, so... I remember when the housing bubble, bubble burst. Do you remember that? Boy, that's hard to say five times real fast. When the housing bubble burst, like, and you watched your 401k go, you know what I mean? It was like crash landing airplane kind of thing going on. And, and I was watching it, and I was like losing all this money. I was, there's nothing I could do. It was just going down, you know? Was, I, and finally, it kind of hit rock bottom, and, and it has started to come up since. But at that point in time, I was like, man, they, I can't find... I can't find any solace in that, any hope in that. I, that's, that's outside of my control. You know, here, here Solomon's trying to do the, things, the, the same thing. He's trying to build up his 401k. His looks a little different than mine, but he's trying to build all this up to see if I can find meaning in life by having all these treasures. That's where I'm looking. I got all these people that would do anything I want them to do. And then what does he say? He also says he's got all of these concubines, beautiful concubines, Probably don't need to go into that. 
I had everything a man could desire. It, it says I hired wonderful singers. He, he, he didn't have an iPod, man. He would hire the band. He was just like, you're playing the palace now. I like the way you sing. I like the songs you sing. You know, boys to men, you're coming to, to play at the palace. I know I did that for the older folks. <laughs> NKOTB, you're coming to the palace to play, you know. Like, I like the way you sing. You're mine now. All of this, he's adding up. I mean, you can just see that like, and I know that we kind of have gone over and over and over this, but, but I just want you to see the grandeur in which he sought the meaning of life in all these different things he was looking. This is his social experiment to find the meaning of life. Look what he says. He's very, very humble here. He says, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. In Laban's terms, I was the man. You know what I mean? That's what he said. I was the man. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work and a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like changing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I told you last week, it seems like Solomon's got the gift of discouragement, does he not? Like every time he says, you know, he's looking around, every time he experiences something, it's all meaningless, it's all worthless, it's all pointless, it's all vanity. The point is, like I said last week, that he was looking under the sun. Here's what we see the commentary on life as we see a reflection here. We look at our lives and we say that, man, I wish I had X, Y, Z. If I had X, Y, Z, I would be really, really happy. I would finally have arrived. I would finally be able to say, man, I am satisfied. I am full. I am good now. Well, adults in particular, I want you to, to take this inventory of your life. Many of you had a 10-year plan 10 years ago. If I had this, if I had a house, and I had a family, and I had a car, and I had just a way to get to work, and I, and I had a job, a consistent job. If I had that, then I would be great. I would be good to go. There'd be nothing else I really need. I would be happy. I would be full of pleasure because I have exactly what my 10-year plan, what I had set out to have, I got it. My guess is this. My guess is this, that that 10-year plan has since been replaced with another 10-year plan where you wanted more, you said, if only I had this, and you added to your 10-year plan, if I only had this, and this, and this, and then I'll be satisfied, and then I'll, I'll have pleasure, and then I'll have exactly what I need, then I'll really, truly have happiness. And then a couple of years later, as you progress towards that original 10-year plan, you got a new plan because you needed more and more and more of what you already had. If you look back at that 10-year plan that you had originally, and you look at your life right now, you'll see that, man, I, I have exactly what I had planned on having to be happy at that point in time. Why am I not happy right now? Why, what, what is it that I'm missing? What am, I, what am I not getting? It's a very simple answer. It's a very simple answer, actually, and I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Because you have this God-sized hole in you where God has this e eternal hole inside of you and we keep trying to fill it with temporal things, things that are, 
that, that are just here that we can see and touch and feel. And we just keep trying to, to fill that hole with those kinds of things. And we keep trying to, to fill this eternal hole with temporal things, and it never gets filled up. You can see that in your own life. I'm talking to Christians and non-Christians. You, you keep trying to develop a new 10-year plan, and then I'll really be happy, and develop a new 10-year plan, and you just keep adding this stuff on, and, and then before you know it, you're like, why am I not happy? Why am I not happy? Because you're trying to fill a God-sized hole with things that you cannot that you can only touch and feel and see and hear and taste. There's a chapter in the Bible where Jesus encounters a woman. In John chapter 4, he encounters a woman at the well, right? This woman, is, she's, she's in bad shape, right? I mean, she's, she's doing bad things. She's, she's, she's like not had a very pure life. Let's just put it that way. And Jesus comes up to her. She's a woman that, that really the Jews were never even supposed to interact with. And here Jesus sits down beside her and starts having a conversation with her, asking her for a drink of water from this well. And she's having this whole conversation with him. And, and he's like, people keep coming to this well. You know why they keep coming to this well? Because they're thirsty. She's like, yeah, that's what we do, man. In case you didn't know, water, I'm thirsty, makes sense, right? And Jesus is like, he takes a drink and he goes, you know, it doesn't matter how much you keep drinking from this well, you're still going to be thirsty. You're going to be thirsty tomorrow and you have to come back and you got to draw again. He said, but I offer something that, that makes you not ever thirsty again. I, I've come here for the purposes of, of fulfilling all those things that are empty inside of you, all those things that, that you keep trying to fill up the, your heart with, that it doesn't seem to quite get full, that you always have this thirst and this hunger that never seems to go away. You keep trying to, to make things happen and you keep doing this. He says, I have the answer. And she's like, look, whatever cup you're drinking for, from, I, I want to I drink from your cup. And what does he end up, end up telling her? He says, I'm the Messiah. I am the living water. I, I am the bread of life. I am, I am what will fill you up. You see, the whole point of this social experiment that Solomon is going through is so that he can recognize the fact that all of those things add up to nothing. All of those things that, that, that you can put in your life, they add up to zero. But if you're a Christian, this is, there's something special that you know. That, that, that when Jesus is a part of your life, that when Jesus is central to your life, it makes all of those things in your life add up to everything. Am I right? When Jesus is at the center of your life and you've got all these things, it's like, like he's the central focus of my life. Said like this, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. When you have him at the center and all these other things, all of a sudden, if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Marriage is a lot sweeter. Children are a lot more precious. You see, I, I, I know that there are a lot of people that, that, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, and they love their wives, and, they, and they, they love their children. As a matter of fact, i got a very good friend of mine that I care deeply about, and I've known him since I was, I was in high school, and, and I love him to death, but he doesn't know Jesus. 
And he loves his wife and he loves his kids. But there will always be this. He will only get to that 90% of that love. He won't experience the full love of loving his wife and loving his kids. He, he, won't, he won't all the way get there to the point where he can understand what it's like to really understand and comprehend love unless he knows the love of Christ. There are some people in here, and you're listening to me, and you're like, I don't get it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that you can live a very moral life. You can live a life that you don't do anything bad, you don't steal, you don't rape, you don't commit adultery, you don't do any of those. A very moral life. But until you have Jesus Christ at the center of that, you will still only reach that 90 percentile. You will never get there to fully experience the greatness of all the things that God has to offer. It will always come up short. It will always feel like it's empty. It will always feel like there's more to be had, and that's because God put it there. God put it there for us to realize that we will never experience the fullness of life, the fullness of his joy, until he is central to our lives. And Solomon, he's telling us that. He said, I took everything under the sun. I had everything at my disposal, anything that I wanted. And, and I, and I, I put, poured it into my life just to see what would happen, see if there was something under the sun that could make me happy, something under the sun that could help me understand the meaning of life. Turns out that all the things under the sun are meaningless. Like I told you last week, he had to look beyond the sun. He had to look beyond the stars to the eternal God. The eternal God that gives meaning to every single thing that happens in your life. You know, when I was contemplating all the art and stuff that, 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 like, that people have created over centuries, you know, and I'm looking, man, these are things that are thousands of years old, some of them. And like, I was thinking, like, without God, without God, these, these things are, are, are just things. Without the understanding of the fact that God put that creative spirit inside of us and it came from God and God created us and God has a creative nature, thus I have a creative nature because I am created in his, his image, it makes the art more sweet. It takes it to the next level. It has a sense of completeness that you cannot have just by looking at a statue. You have to look beyond. You can't just see what's right in front of you. You have to look beyond and see the one that is beyond the sun. So what, what, do, what do I do, Kenny? What, what do I do with this? What, what's, what am I supposed to do with this when I go and I am headed to lunch and I'm thinking about what am I supposed to do in my life? Take a step. Take a step. Some of you are Christians and you've never attended a small group in your life. You've never been a part of a group of believers that want to pour into you, and you want to be able to share stuff. You want to be able to have face group, Facebook group messages where you talk about prayer requests or, or group me text messages where it goes out and you say, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm hurting with. Or, or friends that you can, you can text, people that are close to you that you say, you know what? I read this scripture. I want to know what it means to you because I know what it means to me, and I know what God has said to me. Some of you have never experienced that closeness of a relationship with fellow believers that you get through a small group. I'm asking you to take a step. I'm asking you to take a step and, and, and take a step closer to God and say, God, I want to experience you more fully. I want to experience you more intimately. And I believe I can do that by seeking you and putting you at the center of everything that I am. In your friendships, in your relationships, God is at the center. Those friendships 
And those relationships will be a lot sweeter as a result. For some of you, you've never put God at the center of your marriage or your relationship with your children. I'm asking you to take a step. I'm asking you to take a step towards making God the center of everything that you're about. Some of you have never had a, a, a discussion with your children about God. Some of you have never prayed a prayer over a meal because you were afraid you didn't know how to pray in front of your kids and you were embarrassed about that. I'm asking you to take a step. Some of you are, are, are sitting there going, man, that's me. I've, I, I've been there. I'm asking you to put God at the center. That everything in your life, your relationships, your friendships, you put God at the center. And you take a step towards putting God at the center. Some of you have got one of these books at home and you never open it. You read other stuff. You, you'll read Harry Potter, but you won't read this. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more sweet that you will read than this right here. This is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. You have hobbies like reading. Put this at the center. Put God at the center. You got work relationships. You got people at work and, and they don't know the church you. You know what I'm talking about? They don't know the, the person that you are at church because you're a way different person at church. I'm telling you, put God at the center and let the reflection of God in your life, let, the, let that radiate from your life and let people see God in your life in every single thing that you do. Every single conversation you have with an employee or your boss, let, them, let your light shine so, so shine before men that they see your Father who is in heaven and worship Him and glorify Him. Let your works speak. I'm asking you to take a step. And for some of you, you're not a Christian. what to tell you besides take a step towards him he wants you to have joy and have it more abundantly but you won't do it without him your relationships won't be as good I mean man when, when I gave my life to Christ it was almost like food even tastes better you know it's like everything in my life was just sweeter and better and more vibrant and it's like Alexis is shaking her head because she just recently gave her life to Christ and she knows man everything is better when God is at the center of it Solomon can build all the force he wants to, man, but if God's not at the center of it, it's all pointless. If you're not a Christian, you have to say yes to God. God, I want you to be at the center of my life. The center of your life is the center of your heart. And you asked him to wreck your heart and change your life, and you put him at the center of your heart. You said, God, you know what? I hear you. You've spoken to me today. See, God wants to hear you. I had this, this thought when I was sitting here today, and I, I, have to, I have to tell you this. I don't know why God impressed this upon my heart, but I was, I was sitting there. I was about to come up here to speak, and maybe that's why I was distracted. I don't know, but I know this. You know what God said to me? You're my favorite. Have you ever thought about that? That you're God's favorite. Now, now I, 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 I've got two kids, so therefore I understand that they're both my favorite kid. You know what I mean? Like we were worried that we wouldn't love one as much as the other if we had two. And, and we were like, I don't know if we should do that or not. They're both my favorite. They're both my favorite. I think God looks at all of us that way. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. Does that not blow your mind that God looks at us that way? He says, you're my favorite child. You know, 
you look at the story of the prodigal son, I had this thought too when I was sitting there. When you look at the story of the prodigal son, you would think that the one that ran off and squandered all of his wealth and when he came back and his, his father had hugged him and kissed his neck and put the robe on him and the ring on him and all that kind of stuff, you would think that that was his favorite, right? But the reality is, he had given both of them their inheritance. He had given both of them their inheritance. They were both his favorite. One chose to see it a different way than the other one, but they were both his favorite. What do you choose to see today? Are you willing to take a step today? If you're willing to take a step, I don't care if you come down here and pray. I, I love to come down here and pray personally, but you don't have to do that. You can stay right where you are and pray and say, God, I want to take a step towards you. God, impress upon my heart the steps that I need to take in my life to put you at the center of everything because I want everything in my life to be sweeter because you are at the center of it. Take a step. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for how you challenge us and awaken us, God, through your word. It is so amazing, God, just how sweet things are when you're at the center of it. It is amazing how sweet worship is when you're at the center of it. We're not just singing some words. God, it is amazing how, how, how wonderful these pages are, God, when you are at the center of it, when they're not just words on a page, but, God, we're seeking you in these words. God, it is amazing what happens when you are at the center of our lives. I know that you came so that we might have joy, but have it more abundantly, to have life more abundantly as a result of you being at the center. So, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to your people. You would awaken their souls. And, God, I pray that today they would take a step. They would take a step towards putting you at the center of their lives, whatever that looks like for them. You brought him, brought him or her for, to this place for the reason of encouraging them and showing them that they need to take a step. So, Lord, I pray that they would be obedient. And I pray that as they're obedient, God, I pray that you would hear their prayers, that you would answer their prayers, that you would inhabit their lives, and God, you would make everything sweeter as a result of being at the center. So Lord God, speak. Speak to your people. May we respond in obedience. In Jesus' name.